Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Military Historians or People 2. We just want to remind you that the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are ours and those of our guests. We really appreciate you listening. Please share and enjoy the show. Well, look, thanks for taking the time with us today, man. We really appreciate yeah, thank it. thank you. And uh, I've been wanting to get, you know, I've, I've I've kind of again following you on on Twitter. Uh, the stuff you're posting about you know the work you do with the Romanian military and and all that. I was like, okay, this guy sounds really interesting. So I was like, oh, we got to get Grant on here. Um, before we get started, Brian, any any shout outs? I, I I will just say shout outs. You know, for for the holidays, we we I, I survived the Christmas trip to visit Jen's family in Ohio. Yeah, um, you know, I'm sunny, none, none sunny the worst Ohio. for work. Oh yeah, God, God, yeah, you know, I, I sent you that picture, man. It was right <laughs> outside the hotel. Yeah, just dark, gray, drizzly, forty degrees. <laughs> just, yeah. Although Christmas Day, it wasn't bad. It was a little, it was a little better Christmas Day. But no, we had a great time. We hadn't seen, hadn't seen her folks and her brother and his family in a long time. So it had been over well over a year. So it was oh wow, good. okay. Good to see everybody, and uh, Grant, you'll appreciate this. Uh, Jen's brother's uh, family, their LDS, and, mm-hmm. and their uh, son, Wyatt, is heading off. He left on the 27th, actually, uh, for his, his mission training. Um, he's oh. going to uh, Paraguay. Oh, there you and, go. Yeah, he's going to Paraguay, and, and so he was heading to Mexico City for to the MCC uh, there at Mexico City, <clears throat> I think for six weeks, and then he goes out, so... But he's a great kid, and, and he'll 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 do a great job. It'll be a life changing experience for him. I know that. Well, Missions send, send, tend to do that. Yeah. yeah send him yeah. some stickers. Tell him to stick them on the wall everywhere he goes. Oh, that's right. <laughs> 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 we still, we still we're going to start support. seeing that we've got yeah. listeners in Paraguay. Now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. We, have, we have leftover, you know, military stores where people do little, little stickers. Um. Kool Aid packets, uh, peanut butter. Right. Uh, marshmallows. Those are appreciated. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Brian, actually, I actually stuck one of those in in a men's room somewhere in Lisbon. I've done that too. Yeah. (laughs) I've taken, I had them on my backpack and, uh, yeah, yeah, I've popped them on there. there. Yeah. (laughs) So what the heck, man? Yeah. Yeah. So you got anything, man? No, just, uh, you know, appreciative of, of, uh, family time for the holidays. We stuck around didn't go anywhere after years and years of traveling. We stay home now and, uh, it's been, it's been nice. Different to, deal, uh, isn't it, when you stay it's home? It's a completely deal, a different deal, yeah. And, um, it, you know, you, you feel like you actually get to relax a little bit. Yeah, yeah, glad to get back at it and uh, and, and have a chance to chat with, uh, with Grant today. Yeah, all right, well, let's introduce Grant then. All right, so Grant Thomas Harward is a historian with the U.S. Army Center of Military History um, in Washington, D.C., He has also worked as a historian with the U.S. Army Medical Department Center of History and Heritage in San Antonio. Uh, Grant received his B.A. in history from Brigham Young University before taking a master's at the University of Edinburgh in Scotland. He completed his Ph.D. at Texas A&M University. And so I think that we probably have interviewed more people with ties to Texas A&M than any other place. Yeah, that's probably true. Yeah, we're yeah. Yeah, probably getting up close to like seven or eight people. It's between um, that and Kings. Yeah, yeah, right? good point, Kings. I mean, yeah. it really is. Yeah, yep. interesting. Grant is the author of Romania's Holy War, Soldiers' Motivation and the Holocaust. Uh, and that one was done by Cornell in 2021 and was awarded the Barbara Jelovich Pri- Book Prize by the Association for Slavic, East European, and Eurasian Studies in 2022. 
He is also the author, with Johnny Shoemate, of the forthcoming book, Romania 1944, The Turning of Arms Against Nazi Germany, and that one should appear with Osprey in September 2024. Grant's articles have been published with the Journal of Slavic Military Studies, Studies in Ethnicity and Nationalism, Army History, and Air and Space Power History. In 2017, he was the Norman Robb Foundation Fellow at the Jack Joseph and Morton Mandel Center for Advanced Holocaust Studies of the United States Holocaust Memorial Museum. He also held a Fulbright U.S. Student Award to Romania in 2016-2017 and an Auschwitz Jewish Center Fellowship in 2013. Welcome, Grant. Nice to have you oh, here. Th oh, thanks for inviting me. I'm glad to be able to come on here and blather a, a bit. Yeah, well, that's what we do best. Um, <laughs> all right, so uh, tell us where you're from. Uh, you know, what your parents do, and and what was it uh, that that got you interested in history? So I'm born and raised in Southern California, um, Orange County, and if for anyone who wants to actually know, Fountain Valley, which is uh, next to right next to Huntington Beach, uh, you know, Surf City, USA. Yeah. So I'm from that kind of beach cities uh, area um, down in Southern California. Loved growing up there. Um, I miss it kind of every day that I've, <laughs> since I've been to college, I'm like everywhere, doesn't, nowhere measures up. You yeah. know, the streets, streets aren't, you know, straight enough. You know, we don't have, you know, the, the perfect weather. It's just things aren't the way they're supposed to be unless it's California. Uh, although it is, I when I do fly in places, I realize now, I'm like, man, California was is gray it, yeah. <laughs> all that concrete when I, fly, <laughs> I remember flying into london and being like well this is a big city it's all it's so green like what's wrong this isn't yeah. what a big city looks like it's supposed to be kind of gray <laughs> so but my uh my father was an electrical engineer for trw which is a, uh, a it was a kind of a defense contractor uh, mm -hmm. no longer i think i bowed out by boeing uh, yeah, yeah. a couple decades ago now and all the you know, post-Cold War drawdown, restructuring and everything. Um, he passed away when I was six years old. And um, oh, wow. my mom was a stay-at-home mom, raised the rest of us. Uh, we're 10 children. So I'm number nine of 10. 10. Oh, man. Yeah, big, big Mormon family. Um, did, your, did your mother remarry? No, she never remarried. So your mother from you, your father passed when you were six and your mom... Yeah. To, man, um, there was about shout, five shout, of us who were still five we or to, six. We're going to add a shout home. out, shout out to Grant's mom. <laughs> I mean, what? that's incredible. Yeah, she's she's an amazing woman. She's gotten us all pretty much all through college. She's you know raised us all. We're all, you know, well adjusted, you know, contributing members to society. So how, how old was the oldest? Um, so my, my my oldest sibling is 20 years older than me. So she's 20. She was, you know, so. She was 26 yeah. when my father passed, you know, so you can see like 26, 24, uh, and then it was 22, 20. So there's like a bunch that were already like right, fairly right. old, you know, so out of the house. Um, um, and then there was the kind of the rest of us. So we're kind of like two years apart and there's a four year gap and then there's two years apart and four year gap. And then me and my little sister were like a year and a half apart. Um, oh, so we kind of got this kind of, there's like the first half five family and then there's the kind of the middle three and then there's the tail end Charlie's me and my little sister that <laughs> showed up later on. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, she, you know, she raised us. She also, um, you know, she did some part-time work as like a teacher's aide and, 
and stuff like that, you know, but, you know, she was able to focus on, um, you know, just getting us situated and raised and, you know, out the door, you know, but uh, she still takes care of us and she's still amazing. So, uh, yeah, huge shout out to my mom. I wouldn't be here without her. Yeah. So what got you into history? You know, um, I've always, as long as I can remember, been interested in it. I think a big part of it is my grandfather. So my dad's dad, him uh, and his wife, uh, my grandma, my grandpa Neil, my grandma Blanche, they live down in Hyndon Beach. And so he um, joined the Navy. So he was originally from like a small Mormon community in Utah, like, you know, milking cows, cold weather. You know, and his, I think it was his aunt moved down to California. And we're, he we're, down at, to we're at in Utah. Oh, so. it's um, eh, Gunnison and it's up in there. It's it's so, it's nowhere that you would know. So it's kind of these back old pioneer, uh, these small canyons there, you know, because you kind of go towards Manti, if you know yeah. where Manti is. Yep. So Provo, so Manti was like, you know, so, you know, that's where my family, my, my, actually my my grandfather, my paternal grandfather had dated my maternal grandmother huh. because they're both from this small town. Right. And then, you know, they separated with the, with married different people. And when um, they met back up because my parents got together, um, she had like a pocket knife that he had given her when he was like courting her. And she was like, here, have this back now, which is very much my grandma, Irene. <laughs> That's great. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> but so he kind of discovered that, hey, there's a place where I don't have to get up the crack of dawn. There's nice weather. How do I stay down here in Southern California? He moved down. He found the way he found out to stay in Southern California was by joining the Navy. Um, and okay. so he joined the Navy in the late 30s, like mid 30s. And so he's on the USS Lexington. Um, wow. just as an enlisted guy. Um, and so he was, uh, we actually have some interesting, um, uh, letters from him from 1937 when Amelia Earhart goes missing in the Pacific, the Lexington is part of the task force sent out and he's on it oh, um, wow. to go look for her and, you know, in the Pacific. And so it was really funny when I, when I was young, my mom would be like, Oh, don't tell people. You know, that grab this is kind of like kind of like like almost like it was a ghost story. Yeah. Like, don't tell people that grandpa was on the on the ship that looked for Amelia Earhart. Like it was kind of hush hush. And then she recently sent me some stuff of his. And it's like there is an envelope that he sent home. It has like plastered like a little picture saying like USS Lexington searching for Amelia Earhart with like a photo, <laughs> with, like an image of this ship and its airplanes, you know, like it's like so at the time it was like, you know, and there's like a front page, pay, you know, pay, you know, front page newspaper clipping, you know, the Lexington and so at the time it was a big deal. I and mean, you like got the special, you know, emboss, you know, letters, you know, envelopes to send home. So it was, uh, it's kind of funny now when I, but I remember as a kid being like, Oh, don't tell people this kind of ghost story. <laughs> Grandpa being involved and in looking for Amelia Earhart. It was like kind of a Bermuda triangle feel the way. When my mom was well, well then if you did, these people would start bugging you. Yeah. yeah. The word got out. Right. <laughs> but so I, I, it's, it basically, I mean, he would tell me about life on ship, but yeah, I think basically my grandfather, he would tell me about life on board the ship and he had, um, you remember Robert Ballard's yeah. discovery of the Titanic, right. discovery of the yeah. Bismarck, these illustrated with like photos and like Ballard kind of writing the history as well. And my, I, he, my grandpa in their backyard, cause you know, he's still this Mormon farm boy at heart in the backyard in Huntington beach 
you know, almost like a stone's from, you know, like he was kind of on this marshy area. There's like a dike that you could walk within a couple of miles. You're at, you're at the beach. There's all a bunch of kind of oil, oil derricks, very Huntington beach, if you know anything about it, but you know, like oil derricks, but you could walk down there, but in his backyard, he, he would grow like corn and tomatoes. Like he would have like this, you know, it was like a little farm, you know, that he would tend. And so we would go out there on these sunny California days and open up these glossy, you know, discovery of the Bismarck or discovery of the Titanic. Or he had this like book about the sinking of the Lexington, right? It gets sunk in, right. Carol, yeah. in Coral Sea. He, you know, he wasn't on it by that point. You know, he kind of had finished his service. And when World War II came around, he was, you know, in the reserves. He was married with a child. My father was born in 1940, I think. And so like, that's not the guys that they were tapping right you know at that time to put in frontline service so but still he would he was he felt this affinity towards that ship and would yeah. tell me and like kind of go show me the pictures and that and he would um he'd make these little i he'd have these notebooks you know those kind of they weren't like three ring binders they're kind of like a they were like a car kind of like a paperback and they had like the little wire yeah. metal yeah. kind of yeah yep. yeah he would take clippings out of national geographic right because he you know, subscribe to that. And he would then paste them with a, a glue stick and make kind of like a picture book and then punk punch the holes and put them in these things and, you know, give them to me for like a little present. And you know, they don't, so they often be about like, here's like, he basically kind of like a cut down Columbus, you know, thing, you know, from like a national geographic about Columbus, he cut out like the Columbus story and turn it into kind of like a picture book for me. Hmm. And so, from that and you know whatever else was going on like history was always like something really interested interested me and world war ii history especially i was just couldn't get enough of it i was the weird kid that was watching battlefields you know battlefield you know that documentary it's the oh, yeah. yeah yeah boring military history documentary you could think of you know it's like the most like the fifth you know infantry regiment advanced 500 feet and then i, re know, I remember that weird haunting music when they would have the arrows move it'd be like, yeah 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 you have like <laughs> oh yeah i i literally was one night when i was a preteen or something where i literally would not go to bed my older sister was um uh babysitting me and I was like, no, I want to watch Battlefield. Like, <laughs> and she like literally, she had to take me on the front yard and like wrestle me on like the grass uh, to force me to like go to bed. And it was, I remember being like, she's way taller. I got to go for the legs. So I kept like jumping down, trying to grab her legs to like knock her over. And she would just like push my, you know, she's a volleyball player. She's like a high school just pushed my face into the wet grass you did that for like five to ten minutes and i was so exhausted i was like fine i'm going to bed i won't see you know hitler's ardent offensive how it failed you know like still you can see i'm still a little bit angry about yeah it, you know? yeah I, got, I, I feel that so you know you you said you're your lds you end up going to byu um is that something that you just like always aspired to do? Um, is that like hitting the jackpot? Like, okay, I've I've made it. I'm going to BYU, or well, I mean, was that the expectation for you? Uh, it was never like drilled into me, like, oh, you gotta go. But all my siblings who went to college, uh, except for my brother, uh, who went local, he went. Um, oh gosh, I can't remember which local place in Orange County he went. But all the other siblings went up to BYU. 
Okay. And so there wasn't ever like, oh, you got to go, you got to go. But it was like, that was kind of what it was expected, you know, what was expected. Kind of my sisters are gone, you know, and my friends are going to BYU. Like, and, you know, I'd rather go to there, you know, and, you know, you have the whole kind of Mormon uh, university experience. So it was never, where, it was. Where did you do your mission? So Romania. That's what okay, kind that's of another. Yeah, gotcha. Now right. it all comes together. Yeah, a, I, I, yeah I was like, I skipped an important part because the <laughs> the mission had to be in there. And uh, when I was looking at stuff last night, I was like, yeah, I bet that mission was in Romania. All right. Okay, so that's yeah, where. Yeah, so before I turned 19, I knew nothing about Romania. I have no family connections. You know, my Mormon forefathers are, you know, were converted in Denmark and in England and walked across the plains in like, you know, the 1860s. Um, so, yeah, that I don't have any connection. So until I was 19 and put in my papers uh, to find out where I was going to go, um, I had no idea. And then you know, like even like Transylvania, like Dracula, like that was like an imaginary unassociated place, right? It wasn't like yeah. a real place in a real country. So my understanding is that that you're just assigned. You don't like put in a wish list or anything. You go where you're pick, you're basically selected to go, right? Um, yeah, I mean, when you do the paperwork, I think it, I don't think it's changed. You can put in um, where you'd like to go. There is like a little thing like do you have preferences okay. like at the bottom, and okay. you can say what languages you've taken in high school, but well, that, makes that doesn't really affect things oftentimes. And there's kind of a joke that if like you put down where you want to go, you'll definitely not go, not there. go there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, but yeah, I mean, it's we there's there's you can go on find online like the the, the apostles in Salt Lake. They're like they kind of take turns. Um, so the leaders of the church, you know, they each kind of take rotations and assign to the missionaries, and they have like a projector that flashes up the photo you send in and they have like your your uh uh your information all set in and they kind of sit there and, and they, and they said let's send the guy to romania i was gonna say so this is like the nfl draft where it's like um all right we got harward here <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm feeling romania like <laughs> exactly yeah and i'm i'm you know hey it's it changed my the rest of my life and i'm yeah I'm so really so glad. i'm I'm going to ask you a question that just shows my ignorance about your faith. Um, so, like, you know, growing up, uh, obviously, you know, I grew up in South Carolina. We we had, um, you know, Mormon missionaries that would come around riding bikes and, you know, knock on the door and the whole. But but I don't imagine that's how it works in Romania. I don't I mean, with the limited language skills that you have when you get there, I don't imagine they just say, hey, go out into the Romanian countryside and start talking to people. Well, that's basically what they tell you to do. <laughs> Um, well, but it's, but the thing, the, the thing is, so right. You have companions, right? Yeah. So your okay. companion that you're paired with is your trainer. Who's already been in. So he's, you're, you're, you're going to get put in with someone who actually can speak. Cause after, you know, for me, you know, after my time in the MTC, it was, I, I had grammar and vocab kind of shoved down my throat. And so I had very kind of basic conversational Romanian and conversational probably is like, too too nice of a word like i could barely understand what people were saying but yeah i had the basics but i was with somebody who um uh, who the trainer right he'd been there for over a year right and he and he actually was one of the better speakers in the mission which was great you know he taught me a lot of good um uh, tips and kind of learning things kind of creating these little like uh, flash cards there weren't flash cards kind of like a fold over card where i have 10 words listed on one side and then the translations on the other side and then like, as we were like traveling 
we didn't have bikes because they, uh, the, uh, I guess the other thing we didn't really use bikes. It kind of they probably get stolen. Uh, there wasn't as like bike friendly of a country, so we took and yeah. and we had better um, public transit. So yeah. you take you know yeah. buses or um, they also have these things called maxi taxis. They're kind of basically like a van. You know those elevated Euro vans that you can yeah use? yeah. So like you can actually stand in them a little bit. So you have some seats, and then once those got filled up, they'd be like, "Come on, more people." And you just be kind of standing like a bar that would be, you know, put in, in place there. So you can have a, a handle um, and you'd kind of like pay a couple little lay, you know, you know, a couple bucks and be able to take that around. There were kind of these independent. It was before like the cities like had invested in real bu- enough buses. So you had these kind of like shady um, uh, companies that kind of got put together and like they would often not offer give you receipts. Um, but I guess the other thing, then they, we didn't, we, we weren't focused. We weren't in the countryside. I guess that's one yeah. thing. We were mostly in the cities, uh, cause Romania was so new. You can go some other countries. Like if you go to Paraguay, you know, we've been there long enough there. Yeah. There's gonna be some missionaries. Yeah. You could be assigned to some like jungle. Yeah. He's going to be uh, in the boonies. Wyatt's going to be in the boonies, I think. Yeah. So yeah, you, you know, you might be able to be in, a, be in a jungle or be in a big city or something, but in Romania, it's like all big cities. Okay. Um, so, it, but yeah, so, but. Yeah, you basically they get it's it's learn the language by doing by speaking, um, you know, knocking doors every night, um, and it's also it's like you know you're having a good mission when you have lots of crazy experiences. You know, you're running into naked people, you're running into people who are calling you false prophets, you know, priests who want to like push you downstairs, um, all sorts of crazy fun things and ter- you know terrifying things sometimes. You know, dogs. It's uh, it's yeah. uh, quite the experience. <laughs> so, what there did you, that hit you with Romania's World War II experience, or did that happen there? Uh, not really. I mean, okay. I, I, when when I was there, I was focused on. Uh, I mean, you kind of you're in a bubble to a certain extent because you're sure. not to you don't listen to music like regular music. You can listen to hymns. We kind of cheated once in a while. We get like some uh, cheesy church music. They're kind of like these EF. EFY, especially for youth, there were kind of these, you know, church bands that were do like kind of pop or rock kind of things, and you were so desperate that you'd listen to it. Yeah, I've heard um, stories of 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 guys going to ACDC concerts and stuff. Like um, that, that could Europe. happen too. Yeah. I mean, I, I I halfway through a mission, I think I got some like acoustical Foo Fighters, right, and like Frank Sinatra. I'm like, it's like. That's a Jason. Once in a while, I yeah. listen to that, you know. Yeah. And but you're not really listening, watching the news. So like, you're focused on the people. And so really, it was like the language, the people, and the country. That was what I was focused on more than the history. Like once in a while, you get you get stuff from people, and they'd be talking about communism, or you know, they talk, you know, whether nostalgia for it or hate for it. You know, some people talk about World War II a little bit. But so that like two years when I was there, I would get a little bit of the history stuff, but. What I was really focusing on was the people, was about the culture and the food and learning the language. And I, you know, I really fell in love like with the country. And like Romanians sometimes were just like, why are you here? Like, yeah. like not just theologically, just like this our country is terrible. Like we're we're down. all trying to leave and you're coming. <laughs> yeah, we're <laughs> you know, like um, and like you like our country, like I'm like it's you know, it's, it's beauty here, and you guys are you know, they're very n- nice, hospitable people. I mean, a lot of trauma from communism, you know, but most people, you know, even if and then some even if some who are hostile towards us for our faith, a lot of them still were like interested in talking to us as Americans and and 
and so and but in general like very good warm people that were wanting to share you know their some 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 issues and closed offness because of communism and because you know but in general it's in this beautiful country you got these mountains and the carpathians you have these like old german cities up there you also have you know some of these uh, uh you know you know the flat plains in the south the hills in the northeast painted monasteries all sorts of just amazing stuff and uh, you know, so I feel like I came out, you know, I kind of fell in love with the people and the country and the culture. And then once I got back to BYU, where I was already going to be a history um, uh, major, then I kind of was like, all right, let's focus on the history aspect. Let's what's World War II all about there. Yeah. Well, we've been we've been going a while with this, but I have to ask, you know, why Scotland? I know we, we, you ended up at Texas A&M for the PhD, but why did you decide, okay, I'm going to go to Scotland to get a master's? Well, uh, partly because uh, nobody in the States accepted my first round of uh, applications. There, there you go. That's what happens to most of us, right? Yep. <laughs> um, and then I had a, a, a German professor or a German history professor uh, who recommended, like, if you really want to do like military history, and you have, you know, and this was before I can, I didn't have any other options, but I kind of, but he suggested go apply to like the University of Edinburgh. They had a, this really good program in the Second World War, like uh, in Europe. Yeah. Um, so, so best, you know, kind of focused just on the war, Second World War and just in Europe. And he kind of, and they, you know, it's kind of prestigious. It'll look good on your, your resume if you get in. And, you know, so, I went that direction. And so because it's kind of a lot of the military history programs at the time that I applied to are kind of from or Eastern European. That's the other thing. I was also kind of going for like, well, where can I go that does kind of Eastern Europe, Romania sure. kind of stuff. Yeah. And a lot of those places like, I, you know, Indiana University in Bloomington, I later went there. I'm like, yeah, of course you didn't like accept me. These guys are like speaking like, oh, let me do my presentation when Hungarian, Romanian and German yeah. With a little bit of like Ukraine and Russian, I picked up. I'm like, okay, like, of course, you're going to take that. Like, oh, here's my documentary of, you know, you know transnational uh, Roma gypsy musicians from, you know, Hungary, Ukraine, and Romania. It's like, okay, these people are, you know, at a higher level, you know, like I got one language, not three or four, you know. So, yeah. um, and so it, you know, worked out really well going out there and, um, it was an amazing experience and working with some really great scholars I mean, Paul Addison, who was this big um, uh, Britain at war historian, uh, Jill Stevenson, who does like Nazi Germany. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, there's a, it was just uh, some really great big hitters and really interesting classes. Thematically uh, we had like this XXX class, this extermination, exploitation, and uh, I don't know, something else negative. And I can't remember now, but it was it was like the most big. It was the de- most downer of all classes you could think of. But yeah, it was. Uh, but yeah, I mean, kind of going out there was kind of because I wasn't, you know, I was set down there by a professor, and then you know there hadn't been other things. And once I got it, uh, got finished there, went again, kind of looking for U.S. Uh, programs. And then at that point, you know, Texas A&M brought me in, and uh, it was all the rest is history, right? Yeah. <laughs> So who so did you say, work with at A and M? Roger Reese. Oh, you brought Reese. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I mean, well, he's one of the reasons why I, you know, a I knew A and M had a really good military history program, and then 
I saw that Roger worked there. I didn't actually know of his work as much, but I was looking through the faculty, right. and I saw like, oh, here, here's a here's a guy, Soviet military historian. He he knows the Eastern Front. Okay, very yeah. important question. Uh, when you were there, did you get to experience Roger's brisket? Um, yeah, yeah, we went over, and I think he invited us over. Yeah, as a class one time, it was excellent. That's what okay. he says. He is not he talk, he unabashed. Talks a, he, he talks he, a big game. Yeah, he talks a big game. Yeah, he talks <laughs> a big game. Yep, absolutely. That's good. That's what good. we really have to do is ask Adam Sipe about Rogers brisket. Yeah, because you know Adam's very opinionated about mm-hmm. about, about the barbecue. barbecue. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So I assume then the book was uh, the uh, Remains Holy War that grew out of your dissertation. Yes. Yeah. Um, you know, one, how did you come to that specific topic, you know, with, with your work, cause we often go to the German examples, you know, for obvious reasons, but, uh, you know, how does the Romanian experience with, with these things compare to, to German? How I got on to it. So when I knew I wanted to do something and so at Edinburgh, I kind of looked at German stereotypes for my master's, okay. they call it a dissertation over there, but thesis over here. And so that kind of i want i kind of use that to look at okay here's all the things we think we know about romania and this is how the german narrative really has shaped you know our views you know our you know general you know anglophone you know biases towards the balkans and then kind of the german generals memoirs and how they kind of scapegoat the romanians and so i got in and so after that i'm like okay i want to tell the story through the romanian lens and initially it was going to be kind of more of like an experiential um, history kind of more because I didn't think I thought we knew right oh Romanian soldiers fought because they kind of had to they didn't really want to be there but you know they got caught between fascism you know Nazism and communism and so they, that was the narrative that you know we're in the most the, the limited literature in English and um, even in the in, in the Romanian literature so the motive I didn't I kind of thought I knew why they fought <clears throat> you know like okay regain some land and you know other than that like you know kind of less motivated but but you know kind of but then as i and so i'm going to kind of write more about like all right what was it like to be in the trenches for a romanian soldier on in the eastern front like you know and but it kind of pretty quickly as i started talking to veterans morphed into like okay why did they fight rather than you know what was the food like or what was you know what kind of was the difference kind of like the romanian version of the eastern front looking like more about why they fought. And as I talked, I started interviewing these veterans, you know, and they were very opinionated and, you know, kind of going and broaching into, you know, how bad the Soviet Union was, uh, justifying at certain points, the Holocaust, you know, saying like the Jews, you know, they, you know, kind of betrayed us. And, you know, at one point, and so we had an ax to grind against them. And so as I, you know, this was stuff that was not in these narratives about what kind of, you know, vengeance, you know, uh, more of this anti-communism. I mean, anti-communism was there, but it was kind of like, oh, yeah, of course, dude. but it was not emphasized as much. And I think especially the combination, the deadly combination of anti-Semitism and um, anti-communism and this myth of Judeo-Bolshevism. Yeah. Um, you know, this idea of Jewish communism, that Jews are somehow string pullers or associated with, um, responsible for the crimes of communism and you know specifically the Soviet regime. And so in that sense, as I'm doing this, it's it's it there's that very much overlap with the German army. And it's kind of useful. You can use the Romanians as a foil because you know this is a country that doesn't have a fascist takeover. This is a 
you know, very different country um, that instead of compared to Nazi Germany, you don't have, you know, years of indoctrination, you don't have a Nazi party, yet it ends up doing very similar things. So, yeah, um, yeah. and I think overall, it's because, you know, you can see that, you know, you know, I also look at nationalism and religion, you know, the Romain Orthodoxy, you, that feeds into this, uh, this worldview as well. So even like your common peasant, that's, that's the other thing. It's like, okay, you don't have to be an educated middle-class person or knowing Marx to hate communism, right? These are people that could look over the river in some sense, because you're on the border with the Soviet Union, right? Yeah, you know, yeah. that border with Ukraine, they have refugees coming over from the famine in the thirties. So like for them, like you don't need to think about Marxist dialectic. You can think of, I can see that there's people coming over telling us about cannibalism and losing their land, right? That communism means, you know, the, the loss of my, my way of life. You know, and, you know, you know, so whether you're a peasant or you're well-educated, you know, middle-class Romanian or like you're kind of a, you know, old aristocrat, you know, all those people can, can, are feeding in on this, you know, this ideology. It doesn't mean they're all rabid, ideologically motivated people, but it means that, hey, we can, when the war comes along, you know, they can see the East, you know, the Soviets, it's a Soviet kind of coded as jewish yeah, right yeah. they can see this as the enemy and so the soviets are jewish and we have jews at home right there's this external en enemy but also, also this fifth column and so i think that's interesting you know that is very similar there's a big difference though in between them and germany which is that the racial aspect of you know the anti-semitism is a form of racism but romanians you know there's some of the elite that's getting into eugenics you know, but that really is something you have to be kind of more educated, you know, kind of middle class or, you know, something like that. You know, it, when you get down to the peasantry, they haven't imbibed of this idea of kind of like different racial groups, you know, and the, you know, Slavs as, un, you know, subhumans. You know, that's a kind of a very big difference between Romania and Nazi Germany is, you know, and even before the Nazis take over, you have this these ideas of race and eugenics. You know, Germany has an empire, so there's connections there overseas with racism, right? You know, kind of these more advanced, you know, you know, we have, you know, the segregated South and our, our, you know, in the U.S., you have, you know, kind of eugenics up in Scandinavia. But like down in the Balkans in Southeastern Europe, this hasn't really percolated down to these, you know, your common person, you know, especially these peasants. And, you yeah. know, you, the religious aspect is more prominent. And so you can actually, you know, when you go invade, you're not you can see yourself as a crusader right you know where the germans see themselves as conquerors you know and they're just kind of this liberation rhetoric as well but the romanians really do because they can look at a, a, a ukrainian and see them as like oh you are eastern orthodox like we are you're you know you've been under the soviets you're under the, the jews like we're coming here to to rescue you so there's a there's not as much kind of racial hatred especially against uh Slavs, you know, and so that's a big difference between the Romanians and the, and, and the Nazis. Doesn't mean there's not racism, right? There's still racism among Romanians, but, you know, you're going to, and especially against the um, Roma, you know, gypsies in Romania. Like, yeah. you know, you're different from us. Your skin is different. We can still be racist, but they don't, it's less of this scientific racism ideology that, yeah. you know, So that's the, that's where the title of the book came from then, because for them, it's, 
it's more the traditional religious anti-Semitism than the more modern, um, you know, Nazi version of uh, Jewishness is is race, which is immutable, cannot be changed. Um, that's interesting. So it's the it's you know they're they're still anti-Semitic, but have have managed to kind of hold on to that older version of anti-Semitism and and the conspiratorial and and yeah, that's uh so. But yeah, I mean, and yeah. that that is actually the term in the propaganda is yeah. you know Resboilsfund, right? The Holy War, yeah, is yeah. what they used at the time. There's even a documentary called like Our Holy War that they put out in like '42 to explain the war. And it, you know, I went through all the newspapers and stuff. So, and like chaplains when they give talks, they'll talk about you know the Christian you know West versus the atheist Jewish barbaric East, you know. So like that is the worldview and the in the propaganda. But also kind of that propaganda is being produced and is popular and effective because it permeates society, right? Before Yeah. That. So Romania by the end of the war, uh Romania is gonna fight with Nazi Germany and then also against Nazi Germany. Um and then obviously there's gonna be communism post war, and with communism, Holocaust memory is not really a thing right you know they're not interested in commemorating uh the the uh victims of the holocaust so having spent time in country and and written about this you know how would you best describe where romania is right now with um holocaust memory is it something that's still just not really talked about are they starting to go through education process uh, i imagine it's kind of lagging behind you know because you know germany started so early uh, I imagine Romania's, um, you know, probably playing a little bit of catch up there. Yeah, I mean, so during communism, it the Holocaust kind of becomes a taboo. There's a couple bits, and you, but and when they do talk about it, it's we blame it on the Germans and a few like Romanian fascists. Yeah, right? but the, the vast majority of Romanians, and they kind of depict uh, Romania as being occupied by the Germans, even though Romania was allied with. But they're like, oh, they're you know the Germans really occupying us, and then the Soviets came and liberated us. So, you know, you they don't. So it's all most of what Romanians learned about the Holocaust was that it happened elsewhere. Yeah, and if it happened here in Romania, the Germans did it, and maybe some fascists, some local fascists, rather than you know the reality that you have all sorts of people from all walks of life um, participating. And so in the nineties, there's actually once the fall of communism, there is a kind of right-wing backlash you have antonescu the dictator you know who ordered uh you know marshall yon antonescu the dictator uh, of romania during uh, from 1940 to 1944 he's rehabilitated to a certain extent there's streets being named after him busts going up you know statues to him um and being praised as this anti-communist martyr you know even being in there's these kind of tortured ideas that oh he's um uh, he's an anti-Semite, but he protected our Jews. He actually actually saved Jews because Romania doesn't go the whole way, right? They murdered lots of their own, lots of Jews, but they protect some of them. They don't eventually deport all of them, the kind of the rest of them come uh, to Auschwitz because the Germans are trying to do this. And the Romanians kind of balk at it because they, for economic reasons, um, prestige reasons, like sovereignty, and realizing that the war is not going probably not going to go Germany's way and maybe Germany's, we want yeah. to keep these Jews as a bargaining chip. So you're going to have this strange um, situation where by the end of the war, you're going to have like 300,000 Jews, which is in Romania, which is kind of half, right? You, you kill a lot of them. You kill hundreds of thousands, you know, tens of thousands, over a hundred thousand. 
you know, plus with the Soviet Jews, you, you murder, but that's a, a separate, you know, so kind of Grant, how much, how much that, if you, if you can weigh it, how much of that is pressure from Germany to do those things versus an internal desire to kill those Jews? In 19, the, the, the decision to murder Jews and as they're advancing to liberate territory taken by the Soviets a year prior. So 1940, the Soviets occupy Eastern Romania, part of, you know, part of Eastern Romania. There's lots of Jews in that area, Bessarabia, Northern Bukovina. When the Soviets, when the Romanians join the, the invasion of the Soviet Union, Operation Barbarossa, there is a conscious decision, we're going to murder these Jews. And the, the Germans are not pressing them to do this. Okay. Um, the Germans at this time, their Einsatzgruppen are looking at murdering kind of the communist elite, which of course they think includes lots of Jews. Right. But right. they're looking at shooting like they're not initially planning on killing all Jews. Whereas the Romanians, they start shooting mostly, you know, Jewish men, but they're like, we're going to sh shoot lots of Jews. Women and children start getting involved. You know, we're targeting them and we're going to deport any of the who survive and push them east because we Hitler has told Antonescu we're going to push them beyond the Urals. So like, okay, yeah, we're going to win this thing in 41. So as we retake this, we're going to start pushing it, pushing them, pushing them east. The Germans actually start pushing them back because the, you know, the fighting's still going on. They're like, we really don't want all these Jews behind us. So there's this, you know, back and forth and they kind of murder all these, you know, tens of thousands of Jews or thousands of Jews at this point. Um, eventually, you know, they get their own little territory, Transnistria, uh, to use them as a dumping ground. But like, this is, you know, the Germans kind of recognize, hey, look, the Romanians are being really radical. Like they're kind of, and you know, Donald Bluxham, who was at uh, Edinburgh when I was working underneath him a little bit, he's written a okay. book on, on the Holocaust as a genocide. And he points this out, like the Germans see that that these their other allies are taking these more radical uh, decisions. And that helps radicalize the Germans to push during the invasion to go for a final, you know, ex you know let's murder all the Jews that we That's can That's fascinating. I, I, yeah. I did not... Realize. He points I, out it doesn't just, work the other way. When the Romanians yeah. kind of start, you know, going back from that and like, like well, we're not going to murder all of our Jews, that doesn't affect the, the Germans. You know, they don't, the, but these other minority, you know, Hungary, uh, the others minor Axis countries like Hungary, Romania, they kind of will help accelerate the Holocaust. But when they start kind of, you know, backing away from that, the Germans don't pick up on that. They're like, oh, we don't care about you guys. We won't let you act as a break on us, but we will be kind of inspired by you. No, that's a bad that's assumption on my part, because I, I just thought there was an aspect of Germany's allies just going along to get along. If you look at the rise of Nazism in, in Nazi Germany, that does lead to a certain extent of more right-wing governments, right? Especially those who want to be friendly with Nazi Germany, so that you're going to start having anti more anti-Semitic you know, governments like in 1938, the Romanians get this super, but they, these are all homegrown right wing Christian nationalists, basically. It's called the League of Christian, the League of National Christian Defense. Like, that's like one of these groups. Like, they're like one, one, uh, you know, one issue party, which was we hate Jews, we want to get rid of them. That goes back to like the 20s. Yeah. Right. And so, sure, as like Nazi Germany becomes more important and you want to like kind of improve relations. You're, some of the, you're going to put more right-wing governments, and so there is that kind of a kind of an effect. There's no direct like Nazi like, hey, murder these Jews, you know, because that's what we want. You know, the, 
the Romanians, you know, initiate the Dunstanans for because for them it's about we want to get rid of these Jews once and for all. We don't want them. We want we we were going to kill them or expel them, whatever. We're getting rid of them. And you know, then at this point with the war, this is perfect cover, right? This is a unique opportunity for us to get rid of them. We can just shoot them. And the ones we don't shoot, we can deport, and they're going to go end up in the, the Ural someplace. We don't care. Well, <clears throat> let's so, let's let's circle back then to to Brian part of Brian's question about you know today in in memory of the holocaust but also just oppose that with the new rise in these right-wing nationalist right yeah. uh, groups especially in eastern europe uh, but of course a whole lot of other places like our backyard well that's the thing so but the romanians step back so you have like three hundred thousand jews that survive and that's as big as a population as in poland right although poland that's you, know, you lose half in Poland. That's like ten percent of all the Jews, right? It's it's really, but it's it's, it's a that's how insane the Holocaust was in Poland. That you go from, you know, oh, you know, several million Jews to like three hundred thousand, and remain you know, you're, only, you're Romanian and Poland all of a sudden have similar size Jewish populations by the end of the war. But then that's that's why in the nineties they can use this. Like, oh, see, we protected our Jews. You know, Antonescu, mm -hmm. yeah, he might have been an anti-Semite, but he really protected Jews from being deported to Auschwitz. So it's like, well. He, it's not protection so much. It's that he chose. He, he, he there was different phases, and he just is that when it came to the next phase of deporting Jews to uh, to Auschwitz, he 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 stepped back from that because of how the war was going, because of how Jews were being used in the economy, uh, because of like concerns about like, hey, you know, if we give up our Jews, do we look weak? Like, as we, do we look less sovereign? Right? Do we look like we're just caving to the Germans? As you're bringing up, right? We want to. The Hungarians are giving. That's the other thing. The Hungarians were giving up their Jews, right? So we're not going to give up. You know, why should we give up ours? The Hungarians are. You know, um, and that and that didn't really happen until spring of '44 for Hungary, right? So and so in the '90s, you have this resurgent right, um, kind of and pro Antonescu, and and so it's become so bad that you have like a the prime minister and other members of government saying, "Oh, the Holocaust didn't happen here in the early 2000s." And this leads to outrage. And there's a big kerfuffle in 2008, uh, to, sorry, 2003, um, in the European Union, saying you guys cannot deny this. And so Romania then has to backtrack. They appoint Elie Wiesel, they the famed Holocaust survivor from Romania, but under Hungarian uh, occupation. Yeah. Which once again, this is, I don't know, it's 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 good. But the Romanians were they're perfectly fine to talk about the Holocaust in Northern Transylvania that the Hungarians did. They like to focus on that. They won't talk about what they did in their territory. It also helps that those eastern territories are now part of Ukraine and Moldova primarily. Yeah. So you can kind of just forget because a lot of the killing that they did in Bessarabia and Northern Bukovina, well, that's no that's now part of Ukraine and Moldova. So you can kind of just sweep that off, you know, off to the side. Um, but they have to put they put together a commission. And they investigate and they put together this big report in 2004. The basis says, hey, here's the list. Here's what Romania did. We own up to it. And we're going to set up a, um, a, a special organization to study uh, an institute. And so that's the Elie Wiesel Institute for the Study of the Holocaust in Romania. It still okay. exists. It's government funded. And so since 2004, there's at least at the at the top, there's been a concerted push. They created They built a Holocaust memorial. They're still working on plans for a Holocaust museum. There's pushback now from a 
kind of a new wave of right-wing right. people. The Our Party, Our is A-R, uh, A-U-R, which spells gold, but it's like the Alliance for the Union of Romanians. So like we're the gold party. Um, they're very much kind of trying to rehabilitate. You, you like Antonescu is kind of out to a certain extent. He's, you know, there's been enough work and kind of to, but they're, but these guys are actually trying to re rehabilitate the fascists. You know, just the straight up like actual fascists because Antonescu was more of a military, you know, was a military dictator. You know, kind of suppressed the fascists, ran his own authoritarian regime, was deadly and terrible. You don't. I think that's one of the thing points in my book. You don't need to be fascist to do some of these terrible things yeah right um, right um but yeah so uh but there's actually been laws even though that you have this kind of small it's only i think it's only about 10 15 percent get that the our party is getting um but it, overall romania is doing a very good job they recently passed laws saying we will actually mandate holocaust education and jewish uh, history like romanian jewish history into like high school curriculum. Um, so that's still ongoing. And so Romania is making a lot of progress and trying to actually like standardize and push out this education. So it becomes part of uh, what kids will get in, you know, you know, high school, but there is, yeah. you know, this smaller, you know, vocal group of, you know, far right people who want, you know, calling it woke, you know, pulling in kind of rhetoric from U S you know, you know, who are you know kind of praising legionaries as anti you know, as anti communist Like these are guys who fought commies, so they're all good, right? You know. Yeah. Um, but it, fortunately, Romania, I think, is at least at least in the like the government wise, it's it's it wasn't going as far right as like Viktor Orban's Hungary, mm, yeah. right. or as like on you know, the polls, although they just had a really important election. Romania's been kind of more middle of the road. If you get down below. To like your common Joe, um, your common yo newts, um, you're gonna have more people that still see kind of Antonescu. He was a patriot. Antonescu, he was anti-Semite, but he saved our Jews. That is still out there and yeah. still pretty prevalent. Well, look, let's uh, before we get to our rapid fire segment, uh, let me let's talk just a little bit about what you do at uh, CMH at the U.S. Army Center of Military History. So what what do you do there? What do you work on? Um, and you know what you know that's I don't I don't know. And what was your expectation? You know, coming out of grad school, did you think you were going to try to get an academic job or or how 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 let's let's deal with that first? You know, how did you end up at CMH? Well, I think uh, when I started my master's degree in Edinburgh, that was the first time I really realized. I started there like the job market. Like, what yeah. the what? It's like big. You're not gonna. Or it's gonna be really hard to get a job. You guys are all making a huge sacrifice to be here. I'm like, oh, I don't know. I guess I'll finish this master's degree. Then I got into A and M, and it was again like, um, I was like, boom, like hey, like the job market stinks. And but here at A and M, we also are talking about work for the government. We do military history. We have an in, like we're well known. Yeah. Uh, so PME, professional military education, that's an option. Like, so I was still kind of maybe naive, even after like there was a little bit of that in my master's. Then once I got to my PhD, at the start, like, whoa, man, I still kind of like stars in my eyes. Maybe I can get an academic job. Um, but it was good that from the whole time as an A and M, almost from the start, there was like, an, an you know, an acknowledgement and awareness that. 
there is another there are other paths out there yeah and so as i was you know i kind of got my fulbright i got a holocaust a fellowship at the holocaust museum i was looking for some more funding to kind of fit finally kind of finish off the rest of my um my my dissertation you know my dissertation writing and researching and everything and uh a and m signed this contract with cmh mm-hmm. uh, uh. And, and cmh also had signed you know four other universities um to bring in graduate research assistants and so i went you know i was like okay yeah i'll jump at it i was already in dc you know there's no reason like hey we got a military guy you know military historian he's in dc he can plug right in he can be the first you know uh, CMH or uh, uh, sorry, first day Aggie to go be a CMH. And so um, I came in late actually because I, I had this Holocaust fellowship. I was like, I don't want to give this up. I want to work here for a little bit. And CMH was like, Yeah, sure, cool. Come in after the new year. And uh, so I showed up a little bit later than the other four guys and had a really great time. And I got assigned to um, uh, HQDA, which is Headquarters Department of the Army Studies and Support Division. Uh, so we're basically um, the command historians for HQDA, for all like the Pentagon Army offices. So like a command historian, if, for those who don't know, you know, a command, you know, you could have like a division or an army or maybe a major command, like a medical command. Um, they'll have a, like a, a one historian assigned to them often. The division's not so much anymore. The corps once in a while. But make major commands will usually have them, like medical command or army cyber command. They'll have like a historian. His job is to kind of do oral histories, to uh, write an annual report, kind of like this is what we did and this FY. Basically, in some ways, kind of producing the historical record for that command for the future. And at the same time, we'll kind of work with uh, heritage, you know, so kind of, you know, your history and heritage. So like the, the heritage part of kind of, all right, you know, medical command, we're celebrating the anniversary of the dental corps. You know, we need the historians to kind of support that. And medical command is actually uh, kind of unusual because it actually has multiple, it's like four or five historians because it's such a big, giant um, aspect. Um, there's so many nooks and crannies. Um, so that's kind of, so it's kind of interesting to work in, uh, in San Antonio with them later because it was kind of similar. But so, I work with a group of historians because, again, we kind of re- we support a bunch of offices, whether it's the Army Budget Office or G1, the personnel guys, or like we have somebody assigned to like the chief of staff of the Army, right? right. So we kind of provide like so you know we re- respond to our request for information. We put together what's called the DASUM, which is the Department of the Army Historical Summary, each year. So it's just like little hundred pages pamphlet kind of being or booklet i guess is a bit better uh that kind of says hey okay here personnel chapter operations chapter organization chapter you know here's basically a snapshot for the public that gets published each year this is what the army did with your taxpayer dollars you know this year and so that's kind of stuff that i do uh over there we're kind of the smaller smaller division and we also do some special studies so we like when when covid hit we got assigned uh, it was before i came I was back at San Antonio at that point. Uh, so I came came in after this project was over, but they put together like a brief history of here's how the army responded to COVID. Sure. Um, and then I'm currently working on a, a G1 project. So it's a brief history of the G1. So the personnel office. So set up in 1921 and it goes to like 2021. So here's a century of this office kind of looking at 
how it reorganized over time, but then also here are the policies coming out of it. You mm -hmm. know, big personnel things. So we're talking about, you know, like, um, you know, interwar planning or like, oh, interwar depression era. We have no money. What do we, how, how do we, oh, like, the AVF? I mean, right. Yeah. How do we, or how do we support the civilian conservation corps? Yeah. All volunteer right. force, um, the end of segregation, you know, so you always big personnel things, but also like even some things like creating a new pay scale system. Over. So I kind of, some of the personnel can be very boring, but also very interesting, but there's some, but the thing is even that boring stuff like pay scales and, you know, that, that gets very important very quickly when it doesn't work. Just, oh yeah. You, you ask a soldier if they don't get paid or like a, one of these reservists, if they find out, you know, oh, they miscalculated, you know, my time served and now I don't get to retire on time because of some glitch. Well, it's always the case, right? The, the irony of, of that, that less than sexy stuff actually reveals quite yeah. a lot. Right, right. Right. Yeah. So I, I, have, I really enjoy uh, working. We have because like, all these projects kind of come with us at us. And, you know, some of them are a couple of days, some of them, you know, a couple of weeks. Um, and then you have some of these bigger projects like this G1 thing. And so it's, it's been a lot of fun and to to get in that and kind of um, also learn institutional army because a lot of what yeah, I was doing yeah. with my research is very war and society kind of big idea ideology um, and then getting into this it's very much of like okay how do like how does an army function as an institution and offices change and functions change and get reassigned and have you know not just you know have a real impact you know as yeah, the yeah. army is trying to like learn how to <clears throat> adapt and grow and and have you know do things you know um and so it's been very interesting to work up that level with uh, cmh well i say for all the graduate student listeners and i know we have a good number uh here in the states especially you know grant's path is is one to to, to look at yeah um yep you know a good place to end up i mean we've we've talked with people who Especially, you know, A and M's one of them. Southern Miss is one of them that place people at CMH. They place people at DPAA, uh, other other government outfits, things like that. So there's other other career paths out there for yeah. sure. And they pay well. Yeah, and they do pay well, right? Yeah. Which which and there's a lot of fulfillment. You can have fulfillment as a historian. Uh, it's a different kind of pace. You know, you're kind of you got the nine to five, but you're still you can still do use your skills and. And especially, I mean, I'm doing Romanian history. So I'm a little removed from my real passion, but I'm still doing military history. I love right. it, you know. And so, you know, they, but if you're like a you know American military historian, this is, you know, right up your alley. If you can kind of look at and learn to navigate USA jobs, <laughs> or get your foot in the door through like a you know an intern you know chip with you know um, one of these government um, agencies. I mean, like, and there's all you know, Army engineers, Corps of Engineers, they hire. Yep. They do some yep. architectural, they do a lot of kind of, they, they, they want to kind of like a, a multidisciplinary people. I mean, so there's really, really interesting jobs out there in, in the government. Well, it's like um, Alison Finkelstein at Arlington National Cemetery. Um, yeah. Jobs like that. So, well, Brian, let's, let's do our rapid fire. Let's do it. Grant, you've listened to this before, so we'll ask you a series of 10 questions. And uh, as usual, Brian has done a stellar job coming up with some good ones. Just, just be aware that because it's our show, we reserve the right to comment and judge on your on your answers. So be prepared, young man. Are you ready? I was an Eagle Scout, so I am prepared. All right. Ah, okay. okay. <laughs> All right. We got we got two Roman Romania questions uh, to start off. One um, that I'm really interested in. 
vampire or werewolf? Ooh, I gotta go with vampire. I think vampires are, especially old school kind of Dracula. I don't, yeah. None of these like shiny metrosexual vampires that we got nowadays floating around. I want like old school uh, Hungarian aristocrat out to uh, sap the life force of uh, good people. Yeah, so no no misunderstood young men. Just, just right. nasty vampires. All right. <laughs> All right. Now you get to hear some of my uh my, my Romanian that I learned last night. Let's see if it's good enough for you to actually know what I'm talking about. Sarmale or Mich? Ooh. That's a hard one. Um I have to go with sarmale. Sarmale okay. are stuffed cabbage rolls, and you gotta go not with the ones in vine leaves, which are eh. You gotta go with the ones that are in pickled cabbage. It's kind of okay. like sauerkraut. Yeah. To them. Uh, meech, which are these caseless sausages, are really good too. Um, but I think I they probably a little bit lost on me because evidently, in, in addition to mustard and a big hunk of bread, they go down with a beer. Okay. I don't drink. Uh, you, oh, so okay. Yeah. I can, st- I can still enjoy, you know, peak Sarmale goodness. But I think maybe you need to have a good, you know, uh, Transylvanian brew to really enjoy that meat. Well, you yeah. can suck it down okay. with a caffeine-free Diet Coke, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm teasing you. I'm teasing you. <laughs> okay. Uh, you have claimed, apparently, that, quote, one of your personal favorite films is the 2001 Owen Wilson film Behind Enemy Lines. We're going to give you an opportunity <laughs> to explain yourself, young man. <laughs> Got to be careful what you put online now, man. Somebody's going to find am, it. I don't put anything online that I'm not proud of. <laughs> I There's something about that movie as as kind of middle run of uh, that it is. It just worked. I think maybe I was, I was young. I was a teenager, right, when that came out in 2001. <laughs> But I, I like the the mute the soundtrack is great. I think it has some of the best like air uh, aircraft carrier scenes. I mean, Top Gun right is great, but I I think this was a kind of a modernized instead of F fourteen Tomcats look a little right. janky okay. nowadays. They're a little fat and get the sweet F eighteen Hornet taking off, and then Owen Wilson like cast against type. You know, he's kind of yeah. Yeah. Trying to be, you know, he's, they, they, you know, he ends up being kind of a survival hero, but he starts off very much being very Owen Wilsonist. But I, I, I am, I think there's some, there's, there's some great now, especially for me, having done some of these stereotypes about the Balkans. Like when you, when he gets shot down and he's in the Balkans, there's so many great little like Western kind of complete like you know stereotyping of like what what Bosnia is like. You know, these yeah. Serbs, they're all like communists. Or or Euro trash. The one guy's in the tracksuit. That's sniper guy. <laughs> right. he's, he's almost like very Terminator. I love him to death. He's got this nasty tracksuit on the big old like sniper rifle. And I think there's a little bit of queer coding going on. I think if, I think he's wearing eyeliner. He's mentioned at one point. It's revealed he's been in a prison. So you're like, oh, this guy's like hardcore and maybe like, you know, he's you know you know prison life. You know, kind of. I don't know. And like the 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 the, the, the good Bosniaks that he meets, they're like. They, they're listening to Elvis, you know, they got the Coca-Cola, they bring out Coca-Cola and the guy right. has, you know, Ice Cube t-shirt and is doing raps. It's like, America, you're like, this is what America is, you know, every, you know, you got everything from your, you know, stodgy white, you know, grandparents who love Elvis to like, you know, the, the you know, rap and, you know, well, African American. You know, you could probably count on one hand, probably less than that, the number of American 
produce films about Yugoslavia, Bosnia, and all that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's there's, there's yeah. more European and, and Brit from Amer- from Americans, uh, you know, movie studios, hardly any. I think yeah. also, if you look at that shoot down scene, it's amazing. And it's, that, it's still you're at that time where you still got a good balance between digital effects and practical effects. Yeah. Because you can, you know, if you know to look now, you're like, okay, this is a CGI explosion. But when the plane crashes, you can tell that they're using a model, right? right? No, so it's yeah. an actual physical, you know, you know, quarter scale like piece of like fuselage like banging around. And there's some great little humor. Like I think the humor mostly hits. And like when the plane crashes and it zooms down, it says "Made in USA." You got the smoking <laughs> ruin. You know, it's just, there's just this, all these. The movie does a very good job of balancing kind of the action and this kind of buddy cop thing for a little bit and kind of humor. With a super serious, maybe it's like distaste in some some points, kind of distasteful. Like let's look at the genocide and rotting bodies and stuff. Right. It's, it's a weird. That's the scene I remember. I mean, that's yeah. that's actually the scene I, that's stuck in my mind all these years. But yeah, it's, all right. It's, I'll, I'll, it's a I'll, weird well, yeah, movie. Yeah. But I feel like it works. And I rewatched yeah. it the other night. I'm like, I think this still works. Twenty years later. Okay. I'll. Gene oh. Hackman's in it. Come on. Yeah, yeah. Gene Hackman. Yeah, okay, Gene yeah, Hackman's Gene in Hackman. it. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. I, you got to go with that. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll give it another chance. We'll, we'll let him buy on that. Yeah. Since I've, since I've watched. Yeah, that. me too. So, me too. All right. Very good. I, that was, you, you acquitted yourself very well there. I have I have it on DVD. I'm ashamed. Of. Well, at least like you don't have. Hey, if you said you had it on VHS, we'd have a whole <laughs> yeah. discussion going on. Oh. I watched all the special features. I know way too much about that movie. It's just a little, <laughs> little for things. some reason, I really enjoy it. I still all learn. right. What is the title of your autobiography? Oh, gosh. Um, gosh, at one point, it was going to probably be uh, Bear Flag Republican in the Lone Star State. <laughs> that was like a, that was my blog title when I had a blog for a little bit. It'd be, uh, maybe it's like to, to Transylvania and back. That's okay. Cool. California yeah. Mormon. Yeah. yeah. All right. I was about Indian to say Empire. something to the effect of like you know a, a SoCal kid abroad, you know, or something like that. I mean, because you you have spent a lot of time abroad. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, it's been it's been really wonderful to be able to like you know that year in Scotland was amazing. Being able to you know, my mission, but then also going back for my my uh, to the Fulbright was it was so amazing. My wife came with me. She mostly had fun. <laughs> though, I, like, like, I dragged her to Pitesh, which is not a very it's like we didn't stay in Bucharest which is more you know cosmopolitan with right. more English speakers and more things to do I'm like no we're going to the small city because the archives are there yeah that's <laughs> right. always tough <laughs> alright what are you binge watching oh I've been watching what, the uh, Sanctuary it's with um, it says Japanese sumo wrestling drama Hmm. it's on netflix right now i i recommend it it's it it's not great but i i think the thing is i think some of these uh, foreign dramas even if they're like kind of in japanese it might be like very like by the numbers yeah but because it's like something fresh and you don't kind of some of the bad acting is kind of lost in by watching yeah in translation and wanting to read the subtitles it's i think it's very good um and also, I had knew nothing about sumo wrestling except for like tropes of like fat yeah, guys yeah. and diapers, yeah, yeah. you know. And you watch it, and they don't like they don't sit there and like over explain because I think it's originally for like an American audience. But they do a very good job. You're, you're starting to learn like, oh, okay. They have to put both hands on the ground, and that's how they they 
when they both have both hands on the ground is when they decide, okay, you can, you can go. You can go. Yeah. Until then you, it's a false start. Right. So you can so put one hand down. They kind of like look to fake each other out. Some people won't, you know, if a guy is really confident, he'll just put his hand down because you, you want to get in and hit the other guy. Right. So you kind of start learning. You're like, Oh, and they, they have like an American, a Japanese American or a Japanese woman who is raised in America or something like that. Who's a character. So she's coming, coming in. She got a, as a reporter, as like the fresh face kind of also kind of helps the, the, the other guys like, Oh, let me explain to you a little bit about yeah. this and that. And so it was like, Oh, I've, I've knew nothing about sumo wrestling. I'm learning all this. It's actually pretty fascinating. And there's a fairly good drama with these different couple different, you know, plot lines of the different sumo wrestlers, you know, the uh, one match that's fixing. Like, there gotta, yeah. gotta be some yeah. match fixing. Right? Yeah, oh, yeah. There's match fixing. <laughs> there's like the guys that like, did he kill his parents? You know, then there's like the mean street, you know, mean kid from the street who like knows judo, who's, you know, trying to earn money. You know, it's like a lot of it's like tropey, but like it comes together and it's yeah. set in Japan and something very different. And I really enjoyed it so far. Okay. Also, All right. good shout out sixteen seventeen. I got to shout out that too. It's a 16. Polish historical satire. Oh, about okay. Life in like a Polish village in, you know, 1670. It's kind of like the office. Uh, okay. in the 17th century okay it's it sounds cool. like norseman yeah a little bit <laughs> yeah, yeah 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 i love norseman yeah which norseman i really was like great yeah okay i'll check that out for sure is that on netflix too yeah those are both okay. on netflix all right excellent all right what is your resolution for 2024 Ooh, uh not take on another big project <laughs> fair enough uh, yeah <laughs> no um oh gosh uh I don't. I actually think that's it. I'm gonna stay with that. I need a break. Yeah. Um, I've yeah. Been working on a bunch of stuff uh, this year. It's been kind of crazy. And I think that's uh, a good one to say. Just yeah, to say, say no more. Yeah. I need to say no. A couple it's okay times. to say no. Yeah. I yeah. got to do the page proofs for my Romanian translation. Of my book are right. supposed to hit me right after the holiday. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. So I'm like, get that done, and then I need to like, I need like at least six months. Just yeah. no. Yeah. I'll go, to, I'll go to SMH and do a paper. And other than that, I'll just need nothing big, little things. Gotcha. I'll do a blog post. I'll, I'll, gotcha. I don't know. Yeah. I'll go garden. I don't know. Something. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Speaking of books, what are you reading for pleasure? Uh, right now I'm reading, I can't think of the, it's a giant tome called Pandora's box. The new history of world war one. Wow. It's been translated from German. Oh yeah, yeah. Your okay. yeah, something, something. Yeah, I know um, what you're talking about. And that's my little bit of light reading. It's like 800 pages long. Um, I've gotten a couple of chapters in. I got it for Christmas, and um, I've been really uh, enjoying it so far. It's an interesting new perspective. Some of the German academic style is a little strange. Yeah. Yeah. I think I have that actually on the shelf here somewhere. Uh, yeah, it's your... got like the it's got the Lancer, the German yep. Lancer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Lancer with the mask on. on. Yeah, yeah, that famous photograph. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, Johan Leonhard. Yeah. There you go. Yep. All right. You get to listen to only one band or singer for the rest of your life. Who is it? Oh, um, oh gosh, this is gonna be. I'm not really a music guy. I kind of go with pop trends. God, 80s is a big. Because my siblings are all older. Yeah. Right? So I got a lot of 80s oh, that sibling music. influence. Yep. A lot of sibling influence. But then I started working for a carpenter in high school. He's the one who introduced me to classic rock. Mm -hmm. uh -huh. So I, I, you know, I listened to a lot of classic rock. 
you know, working with him and kind of since then and then doing maintenance with guys like it was like, all right, it was classic rock or right wing talk radio. I was always trying to get it back to the rock. Um, gosh, it's OK. It's probably going to be something poppy and something from the 80s. One band. Um, oh, oh, um, OMD. 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 Yeah. Okay. Okay. All right. We've got a lot That's, of great yeah, stuff. Good, good uh, alternative dance. Dance music. Yeah. OMD and. Uh, Maneuvers um, in the Dark. Yeah. Yeah. New Order, stuff like that. Yeah. Okay. I'm, I'm, I'm fat with that. I like it. Yeah. All right. I'm, I'm making an assumption about you here. Um, let's see if it, if it. At least is. he didn't say the Osmonds. No, I know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm but, sorry. You know, I got to cut that out. That was bad. That was bad. That was bad. <laughs> All right. Best BYU football player ever. Oh gosh. I am not a sports person. So uh, I'm yeah. I am have to, I'm going to have to go with um, Max Hall, who was the quarterback when I was there and we had some great years, no big wins, but I, I mean, we love Channing Maximus from the stands <laughs> I actually was uh, my my freshman year. I went to all the games with my friends, and then the rest of after my mission, I got a job, and I was the sideline cameraman. Uh, oh wow! I was for the in for the in house, you know, yeah. yeah, jumbotron replay kind of stuff. So I so the next three years, I got to be on the sidelines, and uh, but yeah, Max Hall, I guess he's my personal favorite. I. I don't know enough about BYU football. You'd have to talk to my uh, no, but I, I, I think that's pretty normal for for the 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 people I know who went to BYU, um, including my wife, often say whoever the quarterback was when they were there. When they were there, yeah. So for her, it's like probably Ty Detmer. And as an outsider, my my answer would have immediately been Steve Young. Oh yeah, I got yeah, that. or um, Jim Wait. McMahon. Jim McMahon went to BYU. Yeah, yeah, he went to BYU. Oh, Are you yeah. kidding me? No. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, he's from Riverdale, okay. Utah, man. Wow, yeah. okay. Yeah. Never would have thought that in a million years. Yeah, they kept him in a special cage, I think, there in Provo. <laughs> but, you know. He just... <laughs> yeah. That was a different time back then. Yeah, right. <laughs> all right, all right. Final question here. Uh, when it comes to barbecue, brisket or pork? It'll have to be brisket. Oh, wow. But okay. I have to say, I am also not really a barbecue guy. I'm from Southern California, so yeah. it's all about tacos. Yeah, no, right? oh, yeah. So okay. I, you know, if I'm gonna go be honest, it's like, and especially in Orange County, we got fish tacos. Yeah, yeah. Right. So yeah. fish tacos, a really good fish taco with rice and rice and beans. Mm, that's, you got that a, uh, a spot. You got a go-to fish taco place that you hit when you're when you go back to California. Uh, Wahoo's was like the one for a long time. Wahoo's fish tacos, uh, but now it's. Uh, Oh gosh, Baja Fish, I think. It's not Baja. There's, I always get confused because there's Baja Fresh. I think yeah, there's Baja crappy, Fresh. Yeah. Right. There's Baja yeah. Fresh, which is kind of a crappy, you know, don't go like, there. But yeah, Baja Fish, which is a better version of Wahoo's that my sister in San Clemente introduced us to a few years back. My wife loves it. I love it. It's just a kind of perfect um, fish taco. All right. Good deal. So we're, we're, when we're in D.C. for the SMH in Arlington, where should we go get barbecue? Um, I don't know, but you should go to Ambar instead. It is okay. a Balkan restaurant. Um, there's a couple of them. And you basically you pay for like 50 bucks for the experience. 
and they bring you endless small it's kind of like tapas style but some of them are actually kind of big yeah um but they bring you and you can get as many as you want you kind of say i want this this and this off the menu they can get sarmale based you know the stuffed casseroles goulash um uh they've got uh, a beet salad and you can just be like all right you pay and you they kind of bring it to you and bring it to you until you are so until you're just stuffed full and it's amazing there's this great like basically shrimp and grits but it's with a cornmeal um, grits instead mm. of and, and then you have this amazing shrimp that's you know perfectly cooked some of the tastiest shrimp i've ever had i'd highly recommend ambar when you're in uh, like, okay. there's one in um in arlington we used to live near it when we were when we were here before when i was a okay. cra and uh whenever if we have family or friends come in town we're like eh, you want to <laughs> go to ambar <laughs> good excuse to go drop too much money on really good. I food. mean, well, I don't know about you guys, but I could eat fifty bucks worth of beet salad. <laughs> My wife would agree with you. Yeah, she loves it. She loves it. Wow. But it's... Wow. All right, man. That was good. We appreciate you uh you taking some time for us. No, yeah. Thanks uh for inviting me and uh yeah, it was a lot of fun. Yeah. Well, for sure we will see you at the SMH. Yep. Yeah, yeah, I'll be Absolutely. presenting a pay, a, pay, a paper. Absolutely. And... Yeah, yeah, I'll have to seek you guys out. Yeah, no, All we're right, gonna have man. a lot. We're gonna we got a lot of have people to see yeah. there, man. Yeah, we will. You just need to set up a booth. That's actually yeah. That's a thought. next to the bookstore, yeah. or, that's, or that's, like take over a bookstall. It's kind right. of like push the books over. Right. Put up that's your poster. A, that's a thought. That is, that is absolutely <laughs> a thought. Man. Grant, All take right. care, man. Take care, everyone. Happy New Year. Okay, you too. Yep. Bye bye.